everyone, and welcome to The Art of Podcasting, Episode 3, Getting Clean Audio. Recorded March 4th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. This week, Steve and James and I are going to tell you everything we know and a few things we don't about how to make sure you get the best audio possible when recording. So uh, let's go there. Steve, how are things in the world of the Podnuts? Going very good. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how we're going to say things that we don't know, but that sounds like fun. Well, see, your job is to say something I don't know, and I say oh, something you don't know. See, that's how makes it Makes sense. It makes sense now. Didn't <laughs> do the math. Uh, I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm awesome. Thanks. James, cool. Professor Messer, what's going on in your world? Who am I and why am I here? I is, I'm so glad we're doing a podcast uh, tonight because I have been running around in my office doing laps, making videos. I feel like I've been pasted just to my video editor all weekend, so I'm a little bit punchy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, ironically, on the show about uh, uh, clean audio, James yes. sounds like he's calling from a 1990s model cell phone. Uh, it's not him, it's Skype, so don't blame him for it. Hello, people around the world. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> so uh, did you get blown away yesterday? I listened to your Water Week podcast, and you uh, uh, had said that you were experiencing some uh, uh, impending storms. Uh, everything okay there? We did a podcast in the middle of the storm that ripped through the U.S. All the tornadoes were coming from. Well, they were coming through right when I was starting podcasts. Like the instant, the moment the podcast was going to begin, boom, big noises. And a number of years ago, um, lightning hit a telephone line that was uh, outside of my house, traveled into the house in the telephone line, and hit everything. Because it jumped from the telephone line onto the power and, and literally blew the, the garage door sensors off the wall. That kind of lightning strike it took out everything. A computer that was in front of me at the moment blown up. So anytime a storm is coming through, I have this Pavlovian response to run around the house with my arms flailing. Turn it off, unplug everything. And so that's, and that, except I was in the middle of a podcast, live stream, you really can't unplug everything so we crossed our fingers and made the most of it and got through it without any any potential of lightning strike coming anywhere else well that's awesome you remember back in the days of token ring when you had one cable connecting every device in your network i had a lightning strike hit one of those and literally blew the entire network every <laughs> piece of equipment in the entire business went in a half a second the wow. ultimate beacon frame Yes, it was, we called them horizontal lightning rods at that point. It was just uh, <laughs> lightning just popped through. It popped every hub. It popped every uh, network card. It, it, it was just, it was devastating. I'm, I'm unbelievably careless in this area. <laughs> I've not had the disaster yet <laughs> strike me. So I'm just like, wee-haw, just like now, no, no surge now, protectors. Now, are you not in, in the Tampa area? Isn't that correct? I am in the Tampa area. The light, what is it? The lightning capital of the world. Our hockey yes. team is, our hockey team is called the Lightning. Right. It's all about the hat. <laughs> and how far are you guys from each other? I know you both live in Florida. Is it? Uh, it's about a four-hour drive. Okay, so it's one is in the north, one is in the south. Correct. Well, I guess in the middle. Tampa's sort of in the middle. I'm in Tallahassee, in the the upper middle. See, I live in a state where I can walk out my front door turn west and drive for 14 hours and never leave the state. So when people talk about, you know, uh, a long drive, 
I laugh at them. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of long drives. Can't handle them. I've got a friend who lives in Rhode Island, and uh, she was talking about going somewhere. I think it was a two-hour trip, and she said, yeah, that's an overnight trip. You just can't, can't recover from that. Like, I've driven two hours for lunch before. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay. Cool. So uh, this week, um, we're going to talk about getting the best audio. So before I lead into anything, I'm just going to say off the top of your head, Give me each give two of your best tips for making sure that you get the best audio possible. I will start with you, James, since you have the worst audio tonight. Thank you. Thank you. I've worked hard to have this low quality of audio for us this evening. Um, uh, we've had this conversation before, but I'm in love with my microphone. I think your your microphone doesn't have to be expensive. It needs to be of a high enough quality that if you have everything that's configured properly, that you're going to have the best output, that you're going to have the best result from what you're recording. So um, my, I'm, a, I'm a gadget kind of person. So of course, there's nuances in other places, but my microphone for me is the number one thing. And another thing I guess I could say, since you said I had to have two of these, um, I'm, I'm one of these people that I have to keep trying different things and I'm constantly tweaking my audio constantly, constantly, constantly. And we'll probably talk tonight about how I do things now versus how I did things three years ago. But the process is the same, which is record and listen and record and listen and try different things and bring in different pieces of equipment and try plugging in different ways. I think I've tried about 10 or 15 different ways to plug in my audio and use it. And, uh, and so far, having the microphone I like and just, just sticking with that one and constantly tweaking and listening and doing that quality assurance test on yourself is the thing that works best with me. All right, Steve, same question. Balanced cables is magic. If you know what a balanced cable is, it's, you know, if you, if you take a, ca- like a quarter inch cable and you plug it in your guitar, you know, that's, that's not a balanced cable. That's a, a quarter inch jack and it has a tip and a sleeve. Balanced cables look like a stereo, look like the end of a stereo cable. There's a tip, there's a sleeve, and there's a ring. And if you use equipment that have balanced outputs and balanced inputs, use balanced cables, it cuts out so much noise, it's not even funny. I, I've switched everything over to balanced cables. Now, you're only going to use this on equipment that, that, take, that can take an XLR jack or a quarter-inch cable. RCA cables can't do um, balanced, and anything under that eighth-inch aren't really balanced. Um, if you're using a mic, a USB mic, it doesn't matter. You're not running through a mixer. You don't, you're not patching cables all over the place. So if you're just running a USB mic, no biggie. But um, that's one of my things. I love balanced cables. Uh, second thing is recording level. Get your recording level set right because you're either going to be too low when you record, in which case you're going to have to turn the volume way up. And guess what? When you turn the volume way up, all the noise in the background comes way up too. So if you record too low, you're going to have to turn your volume up and you're going to get a lot of noise. If you record too loud, it's called clipping and nobody wants to hear that. Um, and if I, when I hear podcasts that have clipping audio in it, I, it immediately turns me off. It's a, it's a scratchy, uncomfortable, screechy, dirty sound that you don't want. So get your recording level set properly and you're good, in good shape. All right. Those are good. Steve, do you uh, believe in... Like the high, super high qualities, like buying, you know, the monster cable that's $14 a foot, or do you like just the, the basic cable? 
I'll use basic cable for, um, I'll try to use a balanced basic cable, but I'll tell you what, I remember I went to Guitar Center one time to make, because I, I had a problem. I didn't like the way my mic sounded. I had a decent mic. And I'm like, I want to sound better. I want my mic quality to be better. And I started looking at mics and the salesman there said, try this cable. And I go, man, I'm not going to fall for the whole cable, you know, get a better cable, spend a hundred bucks on this cable deal. I know that's crap. I know they did tests where people used coat hangers and they couldn't tell the difference between a coat hanger and a monster cable. <laughs> and he goes, no, just try this cable. And it was a Mogami uh, gold cable. And it was for my mic. So I said, if I'm going to return it, if it doesn't make a difference, he's like, just, just try it. So I took it home, tried it. It was a night and day difference, night and day difference. Now, let me put a, a, a disclaimer in here. This is for analog audio. Cables make a difference. For right. digital, not really nothing. You, you know, there's no point in buying a digital monster cable. Digital is zeros and ones, bits. Um, audio, on the other hand, uh, a better cable gave me a better sound. So I was sold on that for, at least for my mic. So yeah, I bought a Mogami cable. It was a five-footer. It was like 40 bucks. Wow. But it was great purchase. Also, I'll, I'll uh, add a distinction there between digital and analog. You were talking about the recording level. Um, if you're recording a digital signal, if you've got like a USB device, USB mixer, something like that going into your computer, you really can't record that too low because you can amplify a digital signal infinitely uh, without introducing noise. You can still over-record um, it, have it too hot, and still clip the signal. So uh, I actually record everything very low and then amplify it digitally afterwards. You know, there's two components here, but the mic I'm talking into is analog. It doesn't become digital until it comes out of my mixer. So if I'm too close to the mic, I can I can overmodulate uh, the uh, analog signal and clip that. But in the in the mixer, I keep everything really low, and then I can digitally amplify that uh, infinitely without adding any noise. It's just bits. You just uh, add more bits. That's a good point, Mark. But the only the only thing is, it's still not. I mean, of course, you, it's good. You could record lower with digital, but you still don't want to record too low if there's background noise because then right. that gets amplified. That's the only noise you have to worry about is the background noise. Right, mm -hmm. and so that leads into my one of my two tips. First is control the environment as much as possible. Uh, you want to, and, and you are one of the biggest contributors to the environment. We can talk about, and we will talk about compression and gating and all that sort of stuff, but learn to breathe uh, properly so that you're not <sighs> breathing into a mic. Turn your head turn your head when you breathe it makes all the difference in the world and also control your environment around you i live in a house with four other women so uh a, a quiet environment just doesn't happen for me ever so i had to move out to the garage to try to get quiet um but even so out here you know i, I i've mentioned I, I live in texas and so in the summer it's very hot and in the winter it can get very cold so i have to have heating and cooling here and that's the deal I've made with the devil out here is I have to run an air conditioner in my studio. And so I have to uh, uh, deal with that after the fact. I have to clean up that as much as possible. But the more, and the more you can control your environment, the better your initial signal will be, the less work you'll have to do later. So, and you, apparently you breed giant flies in your studio as well. <laughs> yes, giant mayflies. Tech, uh, the, the bugs down here are huge. The only time I've ever seen bigger bugs was in Vancouver, Canada. And uh, I wish I had brought my saddle so I could have ridden some of those. <laughs> What's your second tip, Mark? Uh, well, the, oh, uh, oh, that was it. Recording level and environment? Right. Well, it was gotcha. learn, learn to work a mic and control the environment. Okay. Those were my two. And uh, I, that the working the mic thing comes from um, 
uh, my days working in, in audio. And, and a good singer learns these things intuitively. They you'll, you'll see them do it. They'll be constantly bobbing their head uh, in and out and, and, and breathing off mic and moving things. And those are just things that come with time. And I would say a second a corollary to that, it is it's crucial that you hear yourself. If you can't hear yourself, you don't know how you sound on mic. And then you have to play it back later and say, well, well, that was terrible. I didn't know. Why didn't somebody say something? So good headphones, good monitoring system. I use a little headphone amplifier because the signal coming out of my board isn't loud enough for me to really hear everything well. And that's, you know, 40 bucks to uh, amplify the signal. And I can hear, you know, I can hear those flies buzzing by my mic now. <laughs> so I know what's going on. Uh, so that that's that's my two and a half. And that is the danger also of using USB headsets. Most times you can't monitor yourself and hear yourself in your headphones, so you don't know how you sound until you play the recording. Right. And and don't ever try to audit your sound out of the computer because then you'll have like a half second delay and that will just fry your brain. Yes. Um, I people, can't stand. people do try to do that. But a good if you've got a good uh, a USB mic or um, a, a, a USB uh, analog device, like I mentioned last week, the Fast Track uh, M Audio, um, will have a headphone monitor on it. So you get live hardware monitoring. Uh, that's that's important. You always want to hear what other people are saying, but you also want to hear yourself. Definitely. Anything else you got to say uh, about that, James? Oh, wait, Steve. Sorry. Before, one real thing real quick. Um, you talked about USB mics, and that's one of the... I, I tested a bunch of USB mics, and that was one of the reasons why... I returned a couple of them is because they gave good quality sound on the recording, but there was no monitoring feature. So if you are looking for a USB mic, look for one that has, quote, direct monitoring. Right, that's a headphone jack on the mic. Yes, it's zero latency, direct monitoring. These kind of, thing, these kind of things are going to be written on the box. The, I, th- I believe the Yeti, the uh, blue Yeti has it. It might just be the Yeti Pro. I think the Yeti has, has it. Like you said, the Fast Track audio interface has it. And these are things that are under 100, under 100 bucks or around 100 bucks. so. I think the Snowball mic also does from Blue. I don't think it has direct monitoring unless no. they made a new update on it. Okay, I could be wrong. It has been known to happen. <laughs> so while we're talking about mics, uh, I know we all have the same mic right now, and we talked a little bit about that, uh, I think, last week. But uh, what kind of mics do you recommend and why? And uh, this time, uh, Steve, we'll start with you. What kind of mics do I recommend for podcasting? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. The the field is changing so much. I mean, USB mics are finally coming into their own where they have good quality and they allow direct monitoring. I, I would have in the past advised against a USB mic if they didn't have direct monitoring. That's so huge. Um, the problem also with a USB mic is you only have one channel and that's you. So if you want to you know, filter like YouTube video audio into your podcast or have different guests come on and you want to run them separately into your computer. You don't really have a whole mixer. You just have a USB cord, and that's just you. So um, that's if you're having multiple guests, especially live guests in your studio, stay away from USB mics. Um, a good starting mic would be, I would go with an SM58. It's a dynamic mic, which Mark talked about last show, where it's going to cut out a lot of background noise. Dynamic mics are, are really where it's at for podcasting because a condenser mic, which is the other kind, will give you a lot of background noise. Um, SM58s are like a staple of the audio recording industry, and uh, I don't think you could go wrong with that. I know a lot of podcasters that use them. All right. James? 
Uh, I concur with the dynamic mic. I think an important part when you're podcasting or doing anything where you're capturing the audio, because I do a lot of videos as well, is control. I want to be sure I can control what's going into the mic. And a dynamic mic, um, as Steve said, gets rid of a lot of the background noise. I know I can be on this mic, and I'm, I'm, my studio is in my house. Your studio is in the garage. We have complete control over our environment. So having this dynamic mic allows me to really set the particular standards on what I'm going to hear going in. Uh, someone could be across the street. I have one neighbor that for some reason, he must have a million trees on his property and he loves to cut them. And of course, he only wants to cut the trees with his power saw when I'm planning to record something. But I know that he can do that because he is literally at a 180 degree axis to me. So he can be doing everything that he would like to do. And I can hear him with my ears, but I know that's not going to go to the microphone. Yeah, my next door neighbor is a carpenter. So uh, <laughs> Exactly. There you go. And he, he's always building something. That's what he does for a living and what he does for a hobby. So there's there's hammers and, and drills and saws and things going constantly. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you, you can't con control the and, – and we mentioned – I'll give a, another quick – primer on condenser versus dynamic mics. A condenser mic is designed to pick up everything. They're designed to use in a studio in an anechoic room uh, where you strictly control the environment, and they're perfect for that. So there you set that thing down in the middle of, of the room, and you have a guy playing a really uh, intricate uh, acoustic guitar part, and it'll pick up every little harmonic. It does everything. That's what it's designed to do. When you're in your bedroom, you don't want to pick up everything. That's a bad thing. You want to reject as much as possible and only pick up yourself. And uh, Steve and I had a conversation last week off the uh, off the show about the SM57 versus SM58. And uh, I, I want to come back and tell you, Steve, you were right about that. They are the same guts. I was thinking they were different, but it's the only difference is the the construction of the head, which makes right. the 57 a little more um, directional. That's a good thing. You want as directional as possible. Often. Uh, even a dynamic mic will call itself an omnidirectional mic. That's okay, but try to stay away from that. Get a unidirectional mic as much as possible. The SM57, 58 is good for that. Um, in fact, every, uh, I did found this in my uh, uh, just random research, every um, presidential inaugural address in the last 30 years, those two mics there at the podium have been SM57s. Really? So, yeah, they like that because they're directional, because it's a crowd environment. There's there's lots of people all around them, and they want to hear just what the president says. So there you go. I would like to hear an SM57 on a podcast. I'm going to try that one of these days. Yeah, I don't have one to try, or I would. but uh, I, I don't either. I used yeah. to. We we all have settled on the Heil PR40, at least for now. Um, and um, uh, Steve, tell us why you've chosen that mic. I didn't really know too much about mics, but it was just the one that everybody else was using. So, uh, and I heard how they sounded. I, I had no real frame of reference. I mean, when I go in with a guitar center or a music store, there's literally 200 mics in the case. It's overwhelming. I don't know how they all sound. They're not going to let me test every one, I bet. So I just went with what everybody else was using. And uh, it turned out to be a great mic. It's pretty killer. Sometimes monkey see, monkey do works really well. Yeah. James, what about you? Why did you pick that? Uh, almost a, a similar situation where um, I had 
uh, seeing what other people are using where I am, there's not uh, a lot of opportunities to try a lot of different microphones. Even though there is a guitar center, there's not a huge inventory. And even when there is, you really can't listen in in a guitar store to try to figure out what you're doing. And I, I did try one other mic before deciding on this one. And I cannot remember what it was because it was so long ago. Uh, but I took it back to Guitar Center and you know they were I was able to return it with no problem and then picked up the PR forty and it was really just try, 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 try to find something until you hit on something that worked well for you and your voice and what you're trying to do. See, that's funny because my my reason is totally different. I'm such a, a stats geek, I read the specifications of it and was sold on it before I'd ever heard it. Really? Uh, the uh the the 40 dB of off-axis rejection is ridiculous. Nobody does that. The frequency response is is uh, just uh, blows anything else out of the water. Um, but again, these are things that you you only hear in in perfect. And, and and let's mention this: we all put our stuff out in MP3 format. That's what everybody does. MP3 loses a lot of the texture of the sound, so you can get away with really cheap stuff because yeah, we have these really nice mics and we sound a lot better to ourselves than we do by the time it goes out uh, on the MP3 because it throws away a lot of that information. Right. That's true. Yep. But for me, it was the fact that it is so hyper directional and, and also it has excellent bass response. Huh? You know, um, one of my favorite podcasts is home recording show at home recording show.com. Did you ever listen to that? Any of you guys? No, nope. it's a fantastic show. And I've learned so much about recording from those guys. They use an SM seven B and um, I've seen, or one of the guys uses that, and I've seen that mic also in when I was doing a course at a recording studio. They use that for vocals, for a, a professional recording. I hear that's a pretty killer mic, too, for uh, broadcasting and podcasting. I haven't tried one personally, but that's on kind of on my wish list. And also, in the, in the world of radio, most radio uh, studios now have moved to dynamic mics. They have moved mm-hmm. away from condenser mics and the... Uh, the Heil PR40 and uh, uh, there's one other that I just blanked on the name. Ro- of. Is it a road? It's an RE20. Yeah, they're they're the, like the two most popular ones. Yep. Uh, and so it's you know these people do this for a living. They must know what they're choosing. So if that's the one everybody's choosing, then you really can't go wrong. And it's, not a bad reason. You know, it's probably the most expensive uh, amateur mic you can buy, but it's nowhere near the most expensive pro mic you can buy. Uh, oh right. Know. You can get a, a PR40 for 300 bucks or less. So, yeah. Which sounds like a fortune to some people, but uh, when you consider, you know, the mics they use on American Idol are $7,000 each. I made that number up. Uh, they're, you know, it's, it's, it's not hard to spend a lot of money on a microphone. Right. So true. Um, and uh, you guys have any tips about how to work a mic? You know, I mentioned that earlier. Um, do you have any uh, uh, tips on that as to, to, to position yourself and where to put the mic and, and that sort of thing? Who? Either of you. You go first. Um, I'm, I'm really bad at that aspect. I've kind of learned as I went along just from listening to how I sound through my monitoring, monitoring in my ears. Um, I, because I don't use a pop filter like you guys do, I have to be careful that I'm not speaking my, my face right up into the mic. I, I, actually, I actually do have a pop filter that goes over the mic, not one of those pantyhose looking ones in the circle um i used to use that but so i kind of try to make sure i'm not i kind of give my my voice a little bit of an angle over the top of the mic rather than pushing the voice right down into the diaphragm of the mic and that that works well for me as far as not popping the peas as much even though i still do it 
Yeah, if you've ever watched uh, uh, Scam School, um, uh, not 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 that his other show. Brian Brushwood does another podcast that I'm I'm having a hard time with names tonight. But the the way he sets up in his studio, he has the mic at a ninety degree angle and he's talking across it, um, and it's the same mic that that we're using, um, and that takes pretty much all the plosives away, the P's and the and the bees that, do, that goes away because they're uh, not hitting the mic. And I, I tried that setup, and I didn't like it for me, but uh, that might be something to try. Is, is he using a PR40 or is he using a, a SM58 type mic? No, in the in the one I was watching, it was definitely a PR40. Okay. What about you, James? Well, one of the things I like about the PR40 is that there is a pretty nice filter on the inside. So I, I do have, and we talked about this, I have a this pop filter that I got, which was an add-on that's not from Heil, um, just because I think it's good to measure how far I am away from the microphone. It helps me with proximity. Um, but there is a pretty nice uh, internal uh, breath filter on the inside. It helps a lot with the pops on this particular model. It's, it's such a well-designed microphone. Uh, for me, a lot of where I started to have the initial problems with with working the microphone is that I did not have this particular arm configured in a way that was working in my studio. Um, it is a Heil arm, but I did not have an extension on the back of the arm. And I don't know if it's, if it's obviously those listening to the audio podcast are not going to be able to see it, um, but it, it curves around the, the back of my monitor. And I've got it now on a, like a 12 inch extension that is bolted into the desk that goes now above the the top of my monitor so now i have so much more room for me to move around and be more natural with the microphone whereas before i was i was turning my head to get to the right place with the mic and that was not working for me so for for me it wasn't necessarily even the microphone that allowed me to be more flexible with what i was doing it was how i was positioning the microphone and some people like to use desk mic stands some people like the booms it's, it's really up to you on how you'd like to do it but find whatever method is going to work for the particular layout that you have on your desk yeah and let's let's mention that because uh yeah we're all using a different setup steve has uh, from what i can tell it looks like a, a desk uh, mic right there sitting in front of him am i right on that one steve yeah, it's just uh, the stand. Yeah, just a little uh, one of those little desk round desk stands. Yeah, yep. a podium stand. Yeah, and I've got a boom with the arm coming out uh, from my my right uh, and the mic in front of me because that way I can get my hands up under it and type on the keyboard and, and work the video and everything. Uh, and uh, James has the super fancy. Uh, he's got the shock mount too, so he can grab that thing and move it around, and and uh, you won't hear any handling noise. Where when I move mine, uh, there's quite a bit of handling noise. Uh, so it's interesting that you mentioned the three different ways you can do it, and we're all using those three different ways. I, I, would, I would like the little podium stand, but I don't have room on my setup, the way I've got things going. The, the, I don't have room for that in front of me. So the, the the boom arm, and I bought this at Musician's Friend. The whole stand with the boom arm and everything, I think it was 8 bucks. Yeah, it's a good deal. So you really can't go wrong. No. Uh, and so, okay, so now let's talk about what you run into once you run out of the mic. And I know this is... Uh, there are there are fist fights started over this sort of things uh, all over the the world every year. Is, is what the 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 best effect is or the best piece of equipment is uh, to to go into. And and I'll I'll start. I don't use anything. I go straight into the board and from the board into Audacity for for the recording. Any uh, compression or noise filtering or gating anything I do there is done after the fact in Audacity. So um, the, you guys listening on the live stream. You get the raw signal. 
So you may hear, you know, the the fan running in the background, or you may hear a little handling noise here and there as I adjust the mic, uh, or you may hear a little uh, extra breathing noise that I will filter out later. Um, but I happen to know these guys both run into uh, pre-effects stuff before it goes to the board. So James, let's talk about your setup first. My setup, I only recently added a compressor gate. 166XS is the model of the one that I use here. Um, and I'm using it primarily because I started a podcast podcast with someone else. I had, normally, it is just me talking into the microphone. I'm talking to a camera. There's nobody else around. Uh, I have complete control over the audio. I have complete control over the levels. And so I also went directly into the board, from the board, directly into the camera, or directly into the computer, as we're doing right here. I have a couple of outputs coming out from that. So what I've done recently, because there's the second person, and I found out in the first podcast that our levels were all over the place. We'd talk about something, we would laugh, and we'd blow out right on top of the signal and, and just didn't sound very good at all. So I invested in a compressor to, to level and even some things out. And it also has a nice noise gate in it. It's got some other features as well. There's a couple channels so I can do a stereo if that's what I'd like to do. Um, and it really made a difference on that podcast because now I don't have to worry so much about managing those levels myself. Anything that's low, it brings up a little bit. Everything that's high, it evens down. So I don't have to worry so much about, about breaking over the top of that. Um, before that, everything was exactly the way you're doing it. On my particular scenario, I record in two places at one time. Really, I record three places at one time. I record directly into a video camera when I'm doing non-podcast type things. Um, and so I have an audio output from the mixer that goes directly into the camera. I have a separate audio output directly from the mixer that goes into an iMic, which plugs in via USB onto the back of my computer. And that's what I use to record local on the computer. And then I have a third uh, the the tape out connection, which is which is an un uh, an unamplified signal going directly to an MP3 recorder, so that I have some redundancy and a backup should I run into a problem with the other two audio sources. So, in other words, you're paranoid. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't be paranoid if I wasn't in the position of having to have needed that at some point. Um, so there have been scenarios where I have sat in my office and spent two hours in front of the camera. And for me, that's you're turning on lights, you're, you're putting on different clothing, you're putting on makeup, you're putting in your contact lenses instead of the glasses that I'm wearing on this late night podcast. And it's production. And you sit down and you record for two hours. And you, you go back and you listen to what it sounded like and you think, this is horrible. This is awful. I can't use this. Um, in each one of those different Audio outputs we were just talking about is a separate line with a separate amount of audio signal. And so I've got different levels on each one of these. And now if I ever run into a problem with my camera for some reason, like Skype tonight, we can't, we don't know what to do with Skype. It's acting a problem for us tonight. I know I've got another audio that I can go to that it's a completely different level, a completely different device, and I can pull that off of there and use that if I have to. All right, and so Steve, uh, let's talk about you. And before you, you mention your uh, rig, uh, give us a quick uh, contrast on some of the things that James talked about. What is a gate and what is a compressor? What do they do and why are they important? Um, I use a gate and a compressor. And uh, what the, the gate basically does is it's like a normal gate, like, uh, you, like you walk through a gate in real life. Uh, it's, a, it's a 
physical thing for audio. It it opens up to allows noise allows noise to come through, and then it closes to keep noise away. Now the gate only opens when you talk. That's what you, that's how you want the gate to to work for podcasting. So whenever you say something, the gate opens. It records everything you say. When you're shut up, it closes, so any background noise won't be picked up. And then there are settings on it, so you could adjust when it opens and closes. But that's what a gate is. A compressor is basically what will squash your sound down a little bit. James, uh, I think James talked about it last show. Um, it basically takes the highest points, uh, the highest volume peaks of your audio and squashes them down to a listenable level. And it's a little more complicated than that. That's the one-sentence simple explanation. But it basically allows people, broadcasters, to not blow your ears off when they get loud. It kind of keeps them in a certain range so you could listen to them. They could whisper into the mic or they could yell into the mic, and they're going to be basically the same volume to your ears. Um, I use both of them. I use a hardware compressor. It's a uh, a DBX-266XL. The new model is a 266XS. And James has the step up from that, which is the 166XS, which has a third device on it, which we, we could talk about later. Anyway, um, yes, Mark, there's debates about this. Why did you buy a piece of hardware? Software can do everything these days. Um, it's because of the live stream. That's the yep. only reason I got it. Because for me to broadcast live and be able to hear myself monitored live and to get compression done and noise gating done live, I needed to run through a piece of hardware because there's no latency. There's no no lag. Everything's all synced. So I did it for the live guys, for their enjoyment, <laughs> the people listening to the live stream. If it wasn't for that, um, I'd be doing it all with software. But what I found, and this was a, an unexpected bonus, was the hardware is so sweet. It sounds better to me than this, a lot of the software. So I do a little noise gating and a little... Uh, compression live and I do all my other effects in the box in the computer yeah and uh, wait, I lost my train of thought entirely oh yeah you were talking about the live stream uh, in, in in the situation here I'm the one doing the streaming here uh, it's a there's a pretty big difference between what you're hearing live and what you'll hear when I put this out because I do everything uh, after the fact so uh, the way I look at it is that's your incentive go to incentive go download it see if you if you could get the the, <laughs> the full effect live you wouldn't go download it and, I, and smart and, mark yeah, smart. See, my advertiser numbers don't care about the live thing it's going to be how many downloads you get but no um i uh would probably if i if i could afford <laughs> the piece of equipment uh, that's not the way to put it if i were willing to to spend the money <laughs> on on a on a compressor and a gate i would probably use that too because uh, what happens is you you get a better source to work with later, and uh, and so particularly when you're dealing with um, low end digital or free digital effects, uh, they can um, uh, be fairly limited in their capacity to do things. So uh, and because it's a hardware thing, it does one thing. That's all it does. It does it really well. So they they really worked on the algorithms just for gating, and they worked on the algorithms just for compression instead of a programmer. Yeah, let me throw compression in there while I'm at it. Exactly. And and that's the gating and compression is hard, which is why the there it's almost never included like on a board. You might buy a mixer that has all kinds of uh um uh, reverb and flans and all that sort of stuff built in, but there's not gonna be any compression in there. And the reason right. is that's hard to do right. Yes. Uh but I will uh, the 
put a little caveat out there about gating. Uh, gating, if you don't get that right, you'll clip off the first uh, sound of every word or, or close it too uh, fast at the beginning or at the end, and you can never recover that. So, you know, if you if you go into the piece of hardware first and then into your recorder, um, if you if that's wrong, it's messed up forever and you can't right. fix it. Whereas the way I do it, recording the live uh, uh, stream straight in, I have the the luxury of an undo if I do it wrong. That's true. That's a good point. That's that's a the reason a lot of people don't like to put too much effects on going into the mixer because you're right, it's irreversible. That's why I don't I don't I do l- pretty light compression. And um, I'll say a little something about my noise gate. It's really not being used as a gate. There's a gate is open and shut. There's no middle ground. There is a device that has middle ground, and it's called an expander. And that's basically built into this this piece of hardware I have. I could turn my expander into a gate, which is open or shut, or I could turn down the knob a little bit, and then I got sh- I get shades of gray in between, and it's doing the same function, but it's not an open and shut type of deal. It's a Open slow, don't shut all the way, open a little bit, and it gives you that smoothness. And I really like using the expander. I just use the term gate because it's what everybody says, but it's, I'm really using an expander when I use my stuff. Right, and a, a better way to look at that is uh, instead of cutting it off, instead of no sound and then sound, it's a reduced sound. So, yes. So there's some signal that gets through all the time, but it's like maybe negative 24 dB reduced, and then Can't it comes it. up to 12 dB, and then it comes up to to 8 dB, and then it comes up to, to the full volume. And that happens algorithmically over time rather than just an on-off, on-off. Yeah. Was that it sounds good. No, no, it's good. Uh, and and it, it reduces enough volume so you can't hear it. It's quiet when you're not talking. That's the, the main purpose. Right. But it also gives you a little something to work with on the digital end yeah. if you need to. You can recover that. It, it, it takes some effort, but you can do that. Yes. And I love working on the digital end once it's in the computer. There's so many fun effects you could add to a voice. And you, you get too carried away that you really alter the voice and it's, it doesn't sound good. But putting a little equalizer and different effects in, we got to talk about that in, a, in some future shows. It's fun stuff. All right. Uh, James, anything else you wanted to say about that? No, I, I can bear with uh, what Steve is saying. I really have gotten to where I've, I tweaked and configured my compressor because I'm 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 using the the gate I'm using the compressor I'm using the limiter I'm I'm trying to take advantage of everything that's there but the comment uh, that Steve made is you can over over modulate over over compress over process all of this audio you're putting in so it's very important that when you start using these things to ease into them don't go too crazy with the technology although i'm using a gate i can i can see it out of my eye here and i know i'm, I'm barely gating anything it immediately allows the audio through and i have a very slow recovery to close the gate back up again that's the style that i use on my podcast everybody's going to be a little different when i first got it out for them to see how other people are using it and there were people saying oh if you're podcasting here's the exact settings and i put those settings in just to see what it was like and that didn't fit my style of what i was doing so i realized very quickly i needed to not only understand what this device was doing but really tweak it and make sure that it was set for the settings that made sense for what we were doing with the audio that we were doing on our videos or that we were doing on our podcasts all right, and uh, uh, James mentioned having multiple sources to record into. 
Uh, Steve, do you have any uh, backup settings when you're doing a show? How many how many places is it recorded into? I usually try to do three, and I learned the hard way too that if you lose your audio, it's gone. I mean, are you asking where I how many places I record it to yes, the show? Correct. Yeah, when, see, that's one of the benefits also of doing a live stream. It automatic. I, I use Justin.tv on my live stream. It automatically makes a recording up there, so it's in the cloud. I do a backup um, using a program called Wirecast for my video podcast, and I hit. I just hit the record button there. That records onto a local hard drive, and then I record just the audio stream on a separate computer with uh, my Studio One software. So I got it three places. I'm okay. All right, and uh, I'm actually uh, going to be getting a third location. Uh, just because you guys talked me into it the last time we talked, <laughs> right now I have I have the the UStream up, uh, and then I have the uh, Audacity. Uh, let's talk about what uh, software you record into. Uh, when what do you how do you fix the mistakes? If if you didn't get perfect audio to begin with, what do you do? I've mentioned a couple times here before that I use Audacity. It's a free, it's an open source cross platform thing, and uh, there are really two reasons that I use Audacity over anything else. Number one is it has the best noise filtering algorithm of anything I've ever used. Um, if I have, uh, uh, like the air conditioner, for example, I mentioned earlier, I can simply select about a 10-second sample of the air conditioner and say, get rid of that. And not only is not just a gate, it won't just cut it out when there's silence, but when I'm speaking, it'll isolate those frequencies that are my voice and those frequencies that match the air conditioner voice and get rid of those. And I've used other tools. I've used expensive tools that have these other filters, but Audacity has the best noise removal ever. And in my situation with where I don't uh, tightly control the environment, that uh, that sets it up for me really well. Uh, because, you know, I not only that, uh, my environment, but I can't control what's coming in. Like, uh, you know, right now, Steve, for some reason, is sending me uh, a good bit of noise uh, with his signal. He doesn't normally, but he is tonight. And I said that now he's scrambling to look and see what's going on there. But um, when you're dealing with Skype, there's all sorts of vagaries that get added in there. Things can be noisy for no reason. It's no apparent reason anyway. It just is. So, But I'm confident that by the time this goes out, nobody will ever hear that. They will hear Steve in a nice, pristine, uh, uh, soundproof room type environment because Audacity is going to take care of that. And uh, the second reason I use it is that it um, uh, handles multiple audio streams, you know, uh, uh, really well with the equipment I have. Some of the others uh, have, I've had driver issues and, and Audacity uh, just works with what I've got. And the fact that it doesn't cost me anything is just a bonus there. So, uh, I, Steve, you mentioned uh, the, the PreSona software. Is that what you do primarily your, your audio editing in? Yeah, and now I'm thoroughly distracted. Thanks, Mark. I'm, I'm appalled. I'm sending you static audio. I'm not sure why that's happening. Sorry about that. I fully don't think it's you. I really don't. Okay, good. Um, yeah, I use I use a a really cool program I like a lot uh, called Studio One by Personas. There's a special reason why I use it though. Otherwise, Audacity is just fine. And I I 100% agree with you about the noise the uh, noise reduction. So, uh, you know, what do they plug in or element right. or whatever they call in there? It really works well. Um, the reason I use Studio One is because I have a PreSonus piece of hardware too that allows me to crisscross and send all kinds of signals to all kinds of guests, and it's all controlled with it's all controllable within the Studio One software. So if I have four guests on the show, I send different signals to each guest, and the the way the hardware and the software work together is really nice. 
saying that, I've become really used to Studio One, and now it's my software of choice for music production and podcast production because it's a brand new, like built two years ago from scratch. There's no bloat to it where a lot of these programs have like six gigs to load them and they're just bloated and there's six million menus in them. This thing is lean, it's mean, it's got great sound, it comes with great effects, and I'm really into it. So uh, I, I really recommend uh, Studio One, if you're, especially if you're doing multiple tracks. Um, but if you're just starting out, throw Audacity up there, um, and you can record a pristine audio with that and get some great effects on that as well. And I will say, you want to do multiple tracks. If, there's, if it's more than just you, you want to do multiple tracks. It's important... Uh, after the fact, because, you know, uh, let's say right now while I'm talking, sne uh, Steve has a, a sudden sneezing fit. Um, I can either quickly move to, to turn him down or I can just let him sneeze and cut it out later because he's on a separate track all by himself. It doesn't affect anything else. Uh, so I, I have used uh, the, some of the PreSonus hardware before. I, I haven't actually used that piece of software, but it is uh, pretty first rate, first rate hardware in my opinion. All right, James, what about you? What are you going into and how do you do your editing? It, because everything I do is either video recording or a video podcast, I don't use audio software to do any post-production. All of my post-production is done in a video editor. And in my particular case, it's on Mac OS and I'm using um, Final Cut Express. I'm not even using the pro version for the types of things that I'm doing. So in my case, I'm not using Sound Booth. I'm not using um, any of the Adobe things I used to use when I was doing more audio. Everything is being done in a video editor. And interestingly enough, there's pretty good tools in the video editor, but it's nothing like having the tools in the audio editor. So I have to be very particular about what I'm going to do with the the video signal and the audio signal while I'm recording because it is a little bit more of a pain to break out my my audio, put it into an audio editor, do some post production, and then merge and, and muck everything back together again with the video and audio, which is you can do. It's not an enormous deal. There's it, more work to do, more buttons to press, more applications to use, but it is something that if you run into a jam, you can at least do that. All right, so uh, that's a, a – I don't do video. I don't record my video. I broadcast it out there. So, Steve, how do you do that? Do you uh, uh, edit your audio separately and then feed it back and sync it up with the video? No. See, basically, as far as podcasting goes right now for me, audio is still kind of where it's at as far as number of, of down, my downloads and stuff. So I give it priority. Um, I focus mainly on audio. I record the audio separately. I edit the audio separately. I add the intro music and do all that stuff in the audio. Video for me is almost like second on the list. It whatever gets recorded in video, it doesn't get edited. It's that it's there. You know what I mean? And I, and the video only goes to a limited amount of places. I don't really promote it too much. So um, I don't edit the video. The video gets recorded with a program called Wirecast, which is broadcasting software. And whatever Wirecast records, that's kind of what stays. The only thing I do is chop the beginning and the end off. So, you know, the, the pre-show and the post-show get chopped off. And it's just the actual podcast in the video. And um, whatever we say in this show, it's, it stays in there. <laughs> but, yeah, I, for audio, definitely multiple tracks. It gives you so much control over all the people that are on your show. And you could really tweak it to sound good and, and uh, glued together nicely. Well, Steve, I've listened to a lot of your shows over the over the years, and I know that you don't do a whole lot of editing anyway. 
you leave a lot of things in, like if you drop a Skype call or whatever, uh, you just go ahead and leave that in there and, and leave the, the call back and, um, and that sort of, <clears throat> that sort of thing. Um, is that uh, by choice? Is that because you want to, to have the live feel or is that just because you can't be bothered to fix it? <laughs> you know, I don't do it by choice. I'd, I'd like to go in and remember where all these problems happen and fix them. But I'll tell you what, you'd be surprised how much editing I do. <laughs> I must miss a lot. But um, no, it's I, I, when you get enough shows and, and you're doing all the editing, it's tough to, to nail every little point and fix it. So I guess there's some stuff that gets by me. But when I drop a call, I try to patch it in and I'm actually pretty proud of myself, Mark. I worked some magic in the shows that if people would have seen what the heck I was working with, they would be like, wow, that happened. Um, but yeah, I, in the audio anyway, I try to do as much as much as, ne- as needed, as minimal as possible. But yeah, I just don't like it. It's too, it's too much work. Yeah, I didn't mean to turn that into an insult. I, I just thought it's, it's a stylistic thing that you do. Uh, no, but that's not why I do it, though. <laughs> it's, it's just because it's work. That's the main reason. In uh, uh, Studio One... Is there a, a mesh, uh, a, a, a method for making a marker or, or uh, tagging a label when something happens? Yeah, it's it's pretty pro software. I mean, if you guys have heard of Pro Tools and Cubase and all that, it's it's a competitor to them. So it has all those bells and whistles. Um, a lot of times when I do have a, something happen in the show where I know I need to make an edit, I'll, I'll actually stop the recording and start it when it's good again. And just that break in the recording, when I go back and do my edits. I look at where all the breaks are in the recording. That's where I know I need to edit. But that's a good idea, just throwing some markers up there because the software is definitely capable of that. While you're recording, hit M or hit whatever button you need to and it puts a marker right there. Is that what you do? Yeah, in Audacity, it's Control-M and my laptop is right here on my left-hand side so I can really quickly reach over there. I hit Control-M and then if if I have time, if, if I'm not talking or if there's not a lot going on, I can actually type in a text and say what happened there. Uh, but if not... Uh, I just kind of let that go, and and I know everywhere I see a marker, within you know five or six seconds of that, something happened that I I wanted to make sure to pay attention to. That's a great idea. I should start doing that. Yeah, and once you get into the habit of doing it, um, it just becomes second nature. You know, a uh, uh, a guest uh, fiddles with his headset and makes a lot of noise. I just reach over there and hit Control M and and uh, make a marker and go on. Nice. And so it doesn't but, affect the show any, but I can fix it later. Like That's I, a great tip. I just bumped my mic as I was talking there and I made a <laughs> marker, so I'm going to go back and try to fix that. <laughs> now, do you fix every little thing like that? Bumped mics and coughs and ums and or anything, and all that stuff? Uh, only the things that are, are really annoying. Like, when, like I hit that thing pretty hard and it made a big pump. Uh, so uh, that would be distracting. I take that out. But no, I, I like to have, um, I, I don't edit out when people say dumb things. I don't edit out when uh, when uh, you know something happens off script. I like that. I think that's uh, that should be there. But when it's something that is distracting and and like potentially painful, uh, I will make sure I edit that out. It makes sense. Like uh, you know, I have a problem. I've mentioned it before. My ISP likes to just cut me out every now and then, uh, and so periodically I, I you know have that where the the show ended. And uh, or the and all the calls dropped, and so I make a marker there, and then every like you were just talking about, where you see the the recording start and stop, and sometimes those can be really difficult to put together in a, a seamless way. But I kind of pride myself on being able to f- construct the sentences back so that it sounds like it never happened. Yeah, isn't that that is definitely a good pride builder? Yeah, and sometimes I'll 
be sitting in the living room working on it. And that's where I do most of my editing. I, I, I try not to deprive myself of my family time as much as possible. So I, I do that sort of stuff with them while they're watching, you know, Hannah Montana or whatever. I've got <laughs> one of your butt in while I'm editing a show. And uh, and sometimes I'll say something like, man, I'm good. And, and my wife knows, oh, you just edited something that, that nobody will ever know because nobody's ever going to pat me on the back about it. So I have to do it myself. Yes, I know what you mean. Any it's comment from you, Mr. Professor Messer? Well, it, it, it's video. It's not quite so easy to, you know, just rub over that oh, part yeah. of the video because you end up here and then all of a sudden you're up here and you, you notice when there, that's a, there's ways around it when you've got extra extra things you can do like change the camera angle while you're changing some of the audio or cutting out other pieces and then cutting back to the main piece um there's there's things and you can do around it but it's it's relatively obvious what's going on um so a lot of what i do on my video podcast is just roll with it we're just going to see what happens and it's going to be as we go uh, whether a mistake is there or not if it's something that is is something i just cut i will cut and, and just lay together the video and hope for the best yeah, that's a good point. I, I haven't gotten into video yet, largely because I'm not a handsome man, uh, and I don't think anybody wants to watch me. But uh, I'm sure that will change things uh, considerably uh, when, uh, because yeah, you, the editing is an entirely different animal at that point. It yes. is, and it's one of those things where you, you get used to it after a while. I edited nine separate videos this weekend, um, and, and you just get to where you know where to stick the cuts and how to work with the audio and where to move the video in it. And you figure it out after a while. Um, I find that often uh, one of the, the, the issues that I run into is audio and video sync. And that's that, that happens all because you're using different devices to record the audio and the video and video takes longer to process than audio. And so it, it, they're almost never in sync uh, on anything. And so if I were to ever, try to put those out i would madden myself but by, by trying to fix it before i released it but as it is right now it's just out there on Ustream, and people expect Ustream video to suck and so it's okay <laughs> one of the things that you you learn pretty quick when you've got the audio and the video and it's being it's being recorded by a video camera one's being recorded by an mp3 player one's being recorded by wirecast when, when you just have one of those you just find some settings that work for you well let's try uh this number of hertz uh, and see how that works for us. And then you suddenly realize that recording at 48,000 cycles on one device is different than recording at 44.1 thousand cycles on another device. And suddenly you try to blend those together and the sound now as the recording is going is getting farther and farther oh, right. off. Wow. And now you realize, oh, that's what that does. So you really should now go back and find and synchronize everything so they're exactly the same and then touch them because you will mess them up. <laughs> wow. Video is a whole different beast, isn't it? It, it can be a challenge. <laughs> well, and I think that may be the reason that most videos on the Internet are 10 or 15 minutes long because uh, when you start getting longer, you do run into those. Even the best equipment starts to have audio drift like that. And so I, I've noticed that most people try to cut that down um, to a manageable chunk, and, and that way you're not going insane. I don't, I don't know about the not going insane part, but everything else is true. Okay. <laughs> so uh, just to, to wrap up this post-production segment, do you have uh, like one or two uh, go-to tricks that you can use? Like, uh, uh, James, you already mentioned the the – the cutting of the angles. That's a good one. If you, if you got to have a jump anyway, 
go ahead and change the camera. Uh, Steve, do you have like maybe your one or two top go-to tricks that that uh, maybe a, a novice wouldn't know? It's not really tricks. It's it's really practice. It's like you said, Mark, when you sit there and you go, man, man I'm good. Once you learn where to cut um, errors and how to piece them together so you just kind of know that it sounds natural once it's all pieced back together, that comes with practice. But it's, to, it's literally, for me, just like almost taking a piece of scissors and cutting a tape and splicing it all together, but it's all done with the software. And that's all it is, is just cut and match up and cut and match up and extend and match up and stretch. And uh, I, don't, I don't have any tips that are coming to mind right now. Just, just keep at it and um, you know, try, to, try to keep them as professional as you can. Don't let too much kind of crap go into your podcast. Right. If you can help it um, and just do the edits where you need to and uh, keep it going strong. Yeah, the best edit happens before you record. Right. That's the, that's the way you want to do it. Control the environment we mentioned and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but what, one little tip that I would say, when you're wor- working with multi-track audio, one of the best ways to make an edit sound natural is to have two people talking at once. Because that happens all the time anyway. Somebody <laughs> say something like, right, Steve just laughed while I was talk- uh, t- uh, talking. So if I needed to edit something, I might take his laugh and, and slide it over a little bit so that it covers my edit. And wow. it's a very natural way to get um, uh, an edit that doesn't sound like an edit. That's great. Oh, that is good stuff, Mark. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm taking it all in. Anything that you might have to say about that, James? I was working uh, for another company, and we were doing some podcasting in the early days of this, and we didn't have a lot of technology. Um, we had an MP3 recorder. We had some microphones. Uh, we had people that were in, in other places across phone lines, and we were trying to find different ways to make this work. And, and uh, when we were in studio, uh, we ran into this issue where we were mentioning earlier about multiple tracks. But I didn't have multiple tracks. I just had an MP3 recorder. There were, but what we did was bring one, uh, one microphone in and plug it in and turn it all the way to the left channel and bring another microphone in turning all the way on the right channel. You've only got two mics that were perfect and then record it that way. And then afterwards in post-production, you can blend those back together into a mono channel, but now you can at least adjust them. If a person coughs, if a person sneezes, you don't even hear that because it's now on the left side and you can edit out or, or just not even have any audio for that piece. So don't worry so much that you may not have a big mixer and uh, a lot of different uh, channels to go with. Sometimes you can do it on the cheap. And for the love of all that is good and holy, don't leave it that way. No. <laughs> no I've listened to podcasts where the guy, one guy's panned all the way to the right, and the other guy's panned all the way to the left, and it just it's it's nausea inducing to hear that happen. So yeah, it's okay to record that way. Just don't leave it that way. Yes. And I do a really soft pan on ours. I when I when I like when I when I'm going here, uh, James is going to be like ten percent left, and Steve's going to be like ten percent right, and. Uh, I just do that because it, it gives a little, uh, if you're wearing headphones, otherwise you never notice it, but if you're wearing headphones, it gives it a little more sense of realism like you're actually sitting at a table with these guys. But for heaven's sake, don't go more than 10% ever because it's just, it's bad. It's I was listening to um, a professional podcast done by a major multi-million dollar organization. It was their official podcast. I forget what it was off the top of my head because I, I burned that memory from my mind. But there were four people, and they they had it was like they were trying to do uh, movie surround sound. They had one guy all the way to my left, 
Another guy all the way to my right, one guy center uh, left, and one guy center right, and nobody in the middle. And it was just unbearable. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got the headphones in. I'm working out while I'm listening to this thing. And when they all start talking at once, it's it's like I just got caught up in in a, a tornado of sound. <laughs> yep. You got to tell me which show that is after the show. I, I don't remember. I honestly don't. But uh, <laughs> I have heard lots of others do that. Usually newbies do that. So I'm going to say yeah. don't do it. Using using the left and right is awesome. Like right now. Um, I've got, uh, James panned all the way to the left. He doesn't know that, but I've got him panned all the way to the left so that Steve doesn't hear it. I'm using the left and right as a bus control. Like we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. with the, with the mix minus that way, James doesn't hear himself because he's panned all the way to the left and, and, and Steve doesn't hear James, uh, hear himself cause he's panned all the way to the right, but I'm not going to leave it that way. Right. Right. It's funny. Okay, guys, that's all I had in the notes. Did you have any other, uh, anything that we... Uh, brought to mind that you wanted to talk about before we said goodnight? No, but you know what? James brought up uh, these, I'll just throw this out there, a quick little te- little tech tip. Um, the recording uh, bit rates, James, you had like 44, one, 48, there's 96, mm-hmm. and there's 192 it goes up to as, as far as right now. Um, these are all the rates, uh, the sample rates at which you can record. Now, the higher up you go, supposedly the better quality the sound is going to be because there's more samples being recorded, but it's also going to take up more disk space. Um, I, I record at 44.1K. Um, you're going to see these when you pull down the menus of like your recording options. You're going to see these numbers. There's either 44.1, 48. Um, there might be 88.2. 44.1 is just fine for me for podcasting. It, even 44.1 is CD quality sound. So you're, you're not really losing anything. Don't get fooled into like, recording a podcast at 192 unless you really want to future proof yourself 30 years into the future when something might even care about playing such a high rate so uh i just wanted to say i recorded 44 one with 24 bit uh and i i think it's just fine so don't don't go crazy on the bit rate if you don't have to save your disk space yeah i agree 44.1 is the default in audacity and i've never seen any reason to change that especially yeah. since i spit it out at 128k anyway and I am the exception to that rule because my camera that I record my talking head on is one that records in HD. It's a consumer camera. There's not a lot of knobs and dials you can turn because I, I went very inexpensive on the camera because it's still it only is one place. It records the 720p uh, video that I've got, but it only records at 48,000 cycles. So that's how many samples I'm getting a second out of this. And I can't turn it down to 44.1. All of my other software and hardware defaults to 44.1. And that's when I run into incompatibilities when I try to blend these together in the editor. So in my case, I have to change all my defaults. So you might have to as well, depending on what you're doing. Well, you know what? You actually brought up a good point because 48 is the standard for video. 44.1 44.1 is being used for a lot for audio. Like if you yep. buy a DVD and you play a DVD, it's, it's actually 48 um, mm-hmm. on a DVD. So if, if you're doing video, do what James does. 48 is just fine. If you're just doing audio, you could live with 44.1. That's perfectly fine. All right, That's my recommendation. And uh, we sort of skipped over uh, a whole section at the beginning that we were uh, uh, going to talk about. And just a little uh, a thing that I um, – wait, no, I'm sorry. I had my – my brain confused. Never mind. <laughs> the The last thing, the, the little feature that uh, that I've added to to talk about every week is the lesson that you learned this week, or the thing that you were reminded of 
this week. And and my lesson that I learned this week is that uh, Windows Vista is better than Windows Seven. Okay, <laughs> tell us more. What? Tell us more about this, Mark. Um, I uh, I think I mentioned it last week. I'm not sure, but uh, just before we did this show last week, my main Skype machine crashed, and I managed to get it up long enough. And we did the show, and it, it was okay. But when I came back the next day to do uh, the next show, uh, I do shows six times a week. So when I uh, it's it's pretty much constantly in use. I turned it on, and it was you know any any repair tech knows what this is. It was doing the three beep hardware error of uh, uh you know problem. So it's a it's a RAM problem. It's a motherboard problem. It's something pretty significant there. And I just haven't had time to fix it. So I ran and grabbed a spare laptop, an old laptop. Actually, it's a couple years older than the the big multi-core machine that I had been using, uh, and it's got Windows Vista on it instead of Windows 7. And I plugged in my multiple little USB sticks, and I'm getting cleaner audio and better performance out of this in Windows 7, uh, Windows Vista, than I did in Windows 7. Um, I used to have a, a weird issue where uh, I had to call people up on Skype in the right order because if, uh, if I had a, a connection already going on one channel, uh, when a, another connection would come in on the other, it would mess up the audio on the first channel. Um, I don't have that anymore. I don't have those weird uh, issues. I don't have the the odd mixer issues that I used to have in Windows 7. So if you're having audio issues like that, especially if you're using multiple sound cards in a machine, you might want to consider rolling back to Windows 7. It seems that they have uh, added some quote-unquote features to Windows 7 that, that aren't as good. And if you roll back to Vi- Vista, you'll have fewer problems. So I'm sticking with Vista for my for my Skype machine from now on. Wow, that's interesting. So yeah, Windows Seven is better, or Windows Vista is better than Windows Seven. <laughs> it's conclusive. Yes. Okay, James, what about you? I'm I'm recommending that everybody go to the Windows Eight beta. So that's no, not really. <laughs> the um, the one thing that that we were reminded of, and and this episode did it, was that we are people that do a lot of audio production and video production. We've got all this equipment, and we can't make Skype work. It doesn't want to work. There's nothing you can do. The nicest microphone you can find, the best configuration of compressors and mixers is not going to help you when Skype is not working well. And and it reminded me, one of the things we should be doing since we've been talking about redundancy is we should all be probably making some local recordings so that if we do run into those problems, we just send you the file, you've got the wave or the MP3, and you can do the post edit with just dropping us in as if we were local sitting in the room with you. That's also a technique I used to use when I was doing podcasts or these, these corporate podcasts, which means they weren't at all interesting. But I was calling people that normally don't do any type of audio. They have a telephone, and that's all they have. And I would send them a USB headset, and I'd say, I'm going to call you on the phone. Put your USB headset on and record locally on your computer. And that way, afterwards, send me the file. And all the timings will be right because we're recording everything at the same time. I take their local recording, just edit it right on top of mine, and now I've got a much better quality audio that I can work with afterwards. It's very smart. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you if you were recording this locally so that I could do that. But, uh, yeah, well, that, that requires some some thought. And yeah. there you go. I know, James, when you were talking about it in the middle of the show, I'm like, damn, that's a great idea. James is probably doing that right now. Yeah. Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's nothing better than Skype right now. I wish there were. There's nothing better than Skype, and Skype isn't that awesome. Um, 
the Skype codec they use, the, the, the sound quality is just butter, but it's not reliable. Uh, it's, uh, you're going to have more problems than you wish you did with Skype. And I would pay for a better alternative if there were one out there, but I haven't found it yet. Alas. I know I've looked, I've looked too. Right. Uh, but I do want to mention, uh, Skype itself has a really good gating algorithm and a really good compression algorithm built in. So when we talk about gating and compression, we're talking about our own mics, but, um, when you've got a Skype guest or host uh, calling in, his signal is going to come into you very highly compressed and very well compressed. It's a very yeah. good compression algorithm they use, and you're not going to have to mess with that at all. That's and there's, true. And there's almost never any background noise unless they're just uh, being, uh, you know, really bad about their mic technique because Skype has a really good echo cancellation, a re- really good built-in gate. So uh, those are some things that you can um, sort of cross off your list when recording with Skype. You don't have to worry about uh, running your Skype call through a compressor before you go into the board because it's already being done and re- done well. I agree, and that's true. You really don't have to mess with a Skype signal much at all once it's recorded. As long as it's coming in. Is it right? Um, I got a tip or a, a lesson learned. Uh, should I do mine now? Sure, go ahead. Okay. The I learned when I was through the years of my podcasting, before I did a show... Because I like to tinker with things and mess around with my hardware and stuff. And I would get into like, wouldn't want to say a habit, but more often, sometimes, let's just put it that way, I would try to mess with something or change something in my podcasting rig literally 10 or 15 minutes and half an hour, an hour before the show started. (laughs) And it's just never, ever a good idea because it probably won't be fixed by the time the show starts. And then you're panicking and you're upset and you're frustrated while the show is going on because it's not working right. So if you have a working system, do the show first. And if you want to make changes, do them after the show. Absolutely. I was in here today at about noon messing around. Because we all do that. We all, we're going to try one other thing or or there's some nagging thing that we've been hoping we can fix. But yeah, I made sure I did it like eight hours before I had a podcast because that's, that's exactly what happens. You, you think everything takes longer than you think. Yeah. And eight hours sometimes isn't even enough. Exactly. Time. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. And, uh, I, I called Steve, uh, James paranoid about having so many recording sources. I'm paranoid about hardware. I have two spare laptops that I can put my hands on at any point in time to, to do this one for recording and one for Skype. Um, and so wow. I always, you know, they're not, they're not the best laptops, right? I have the good stuff for, for actually doing stuff, but, but I keep other stuff around. I'm always, I'm an eBay junkie. I'm always looking for good deals out there on eBay. And if I find something that I think will do for a good price, I'll buy it just to have it on hand. And it saved me this time because my Skype machine went down. I was able to grab a laptop and plug it in and go. So sometimes ah. just because nobody's out to get you doesn't mean you're paranoid. <laughs> nice one. All right. Anything else, guys, before we wrap up? Nope. All right. Not a material. Okay. Well, thanks for being with us. Thanks for uh, bringing your brain. And thank you for listening out there. You're the reason we do this. And uh, we uh, first thing Steve asked me when he got online with me to Nine of Skype is, we had any feedback on the show yet? And I had to tell him, no, we haven't. Fix that for me, please. <laughs> Give us some feedback on the show. This is the next time he asked me that. I'll be able to say, why, yes, Steve, we have. Uh, and the place and it's all that, bad. Yeah, it's all bad. That's that's what I told him. He, he said, it must be because people hate us. I said, no, when people hate us, they like to let us know. That's when you know. That's right. 
In fact, I considered when we were doing the Tightwad Tech, my first podcast, when we got our first troll, I was like, yes, we've made it. We are now an internet entity. We have a troll. Yes, I, I love that. Uh, and so the place that you can do that is at elementop.com. That's my home network. Uh, uh, Steve can be found at podnuts.com, and James can be found at professormesser.com. But the stuff for about this show can be found at elementop.com. Click on the forums and go to the Art of Podcasting forum and let your voice be heard. And let us know what you think. And uh, if you have questions, if you have specific show topics that you'd like us to cover, let us know, and we will do that. This is uh, user-programmed content right here. So uh, on behalf of my good friends James Messer and Steve Cherubino, I would simply say goodnight, everybody. And that ends this episode of The Art of Podcasting.